According to Hindu mythology, the universe was created with the sound Aum. The meaning and connotations of Aum also span parts of Buddhism, varying across diverse schools and various traditions. But it's really only important to know that it is considered the primordial sound, the first sound. It's a syllable that contains within it everything that ever was and everything that will ever be. Interestingly, when our most powerful telescopes point at the space between stars, they also hear a faint hum. Astronomers call that the cosmic microwave background, and it's the residual radiation of the Big Bang, the explosion that created the universe 14 billion years ago. But perhaps you can also think of it as a barely audible reverberation of that original alm. That syllable is so resonant that the night sky will keep vibrating for as long as the universe exists. So when we're not listening to anything else out there, we're hearing the voice of creation. Let's bring this back to Earth. As New York City fights off the residue of regulations set by the biggest hypochondriacs on the planet, our social scene is beginning to pick up. My network is repairing itself, albeit slowly, but it'll never be what it was. Which is for the better. The world of finance and society has changed, and I refuse to change with it. It's time to let it go on without me. Family, travel, writing, and jujitsu. These seem like adequate challenges for the future. All of them complex problems that will never be solved. Anyway, a colleague from the past popped unexpectedly back into my life, and we decided to meet for a drink. She walks into my bar, and I'm startled to see she's Asian. I remember her as an Irish Polack who cooked like an Italian. I then recall she was also a killer video game player. We originally bonded over the arcade game Street Fighter. So, let's call her Chun-Li. For those lacking a misspent youth in bars or pachinko parlors, Chun-Li was the first playable female character to appear in a fighting game and gain mainstream recognition. A trailblazer for female fighters of all types. Lee sits down and orders tequila. I raised an eyebrow at that. Didn't know it was going to be that sort of night. But she says it's good tequila, not 21-year-old pass-out drunk tequila. When it arrives, I try some, and am impressed. I ask Lee how she got into our business, and it turns out she started off at one of the first crossing networks. On the buy side, these were a big deal. For the first time, you could place an order down on the New York Stock Exchange floor and also execute away with a clear conscience. I still remember the first time I used one. The family had asked me to exit one of their legacy positions, a million shares of exposure in a stock that might trade 50,000 shares a day. They'd asked me to use a specific brokerage to do it, but the problem with carrying out their instructions was that the head trader there knew how big our position was, for reasons I won't get into. When I gave him the first 20,000 share order, he told me not to be a pussy and just show him the whole amount. To which I responded, he should find me a bid if he wanted that sort of responsibility. In the meantime, I put the other 980,000 shares into a crossing network called ITG Posit that went off every day around 10 a.m. A minute later, boom, I'm done. A low-cost block that traded in the middle of the spread with no slippage. A win for our investors, a win for technology, a very unhappy floor broker, a sign of times to come. Let's get back to Lee. When she got her first job on Wall Street, it was as one of the first quantitative analysts, or simply a quant. In fact, her first day reads like the beginning of a joke. A Russian, an Indian, and a Korean walk into a room. 
The other two quants look at her like they've never seen a female before. Remember, these aren't today's Jeff Bezos quant. They're 2006 quants. In no time, they are following her around like puppy dogs and obeying commands with a commanding wave of her hand or raised eyebrow. She makes her way up the Wall Street hierarchy until she's sitting in front of me. A woman at the pinnacle of her career, seemingly in charge of it all. Successful family life, a business assassin, and still hot on top of that. I'm intrigued by this. To be honest, I've never given much more than a passing thought to issues facing women on Wall Street. Something I may have to face the music for when an angry daughter or two reads this sometime in the future. Perhaps she has some advice for women in finance. We'll get to that, but first some context is in order. For a start, Asians truly are a privileged minority in America. Let's demonstrate that with two salient facts. As an ethnic group, Asians, whether Taiwanese, Indian, Korean, or Japanese, make more money than white people. Last year, Asian women actually made more than the average white man. If America is a racist, patriarchal tyranny, well, we're a very strange one indeed. Secondly, Asians make up 7% of the country and only 1% of the prison population. But that's not why Asians are privileged. That's simply the output. They're privileged because they appear to come from a culture that prioritizes diligence, hard work, respect for family, and education. So before we get to Lee's counsel, we need to fall back on the oldest advice of all. If you want to be successful, you should stay in school, get a job, keep your family intact. Everything else will fall into place. And if luck isn't actually the intersection of hard work and design, well, it doesn't matter. Because you can't live your life differently than that anyway. I'm a broken clock, I know. Better to hear from women themselves. Being somewhat of a compulsive personality, I began calling up other female colleagues from my past. From these conversations, I discovered there used to be just two paths for successful women on Wall Street. The first was simply to bang your boss or your best client. Business would pick up. Worst case, you walked away with a rich husband or a large work settlement. That seems easy, but it's actually a trap. Sleeping with your client sets a poor precedent and therefore limits your options later on. Marry for money and you'll end up earning every cent. Screw over your employer and it'll be your last job in that sector. The second path came from my observation that many successful women tended to have had an older brother. Now, obviously you can't control when and where your father shot out his baby batter, nor what proportions of X or Y chromosomes were there to get splattered by it. Instead, what they had in common was someone in their lives to say, get the fuck up. We have a problem and we can solve it. Someone where there were no safe spaces. Someone who helped them see the world as it actually is, not how you wish it to be. I plan to write more about women on Wall Street, but each podcast is a stream of consciousness to some extent. Ultimately, it's for me. I write to know what I really think. This is what I think. In the West, over the past two years, many of us have had to confront death, either our own or our elders. Life and death being two sides of the same coin, we've also had to confront existence. Mortality should make us wake up to how we want to conduct ourselves in the world. Life should be an adventure. But people don't take adventures. Adventures take people. My own journey on Wall Street started long before I arrived and was over before I left. I know exactly where and when it was over. Near Bethesda Fountain, at the end of Poet's Walk, at seven on a windy weekend morning. Without warning or goodbye, 
my time on Wall Street went away and left me stranded. I tried to call it back, to catch up with it, a foolish and hopeless matter because it was definitely and permanently over and finished. The road in finance became an endless ticker tape, market hours and obstruction, the offices gray blurs, the people simply moving figures with heads but no faces. I found myself slipping into the afternoon naps at long, uneven intervals. The days rolled under me unacknowledged. I knew my business was important, but I didn't feel it. I know the city must still be exciting, but I didn't see it. I bulldozed blindly through my Mondays, plunged into heavy drinking sessions on Tuesdays, and grooved into the weekends stoned and hungover. There was no night, no day, no distance. The way was a gray, timeless, eventless tunnel, but at the end of it was the shining reality of my future. Family, travel, writing, and jiu-jitsu. And that's how the traitor came home.